Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anybody who's interested in reinventing what education is. I'm Rob McLeod, and as always, joined by Brennan O'Leary. Good day, Brennan. Good day, Rob. So today is kind of a fresh beginning. I guess for those who've been with us, we're almost a year into this podcast now. And you and I, about a year ago, entered into a big inquiry into the nature of education where it's at and how we can fundamentally change it. And we've been trying to create a bit of a map as we've been going to do that. Stuff that took us an hour to say a year ago, I think you and I now kind of have it nailed and we can say it much more easily and clearly in just a few minutes. So today, I guess with this episode, is sort of a welcome to anybody new and a hope that we can kind of bring you up to speed with our narrative about reinventing education rather quickly to save you going back through some of our older episodes and taking an hour or two at a time to get some of our big ideas. But also for the people who have been with us up to this point, sort of a refresher, but also just kind of distilling down the most important aspects of our narrative, our map, and uh, helping to launch into our discussion about the health in the different values in education. And we've realized as you and I were trying to do that, that we needed to go back and retool a few of our initial pieces of our map. Yeah, I think the big change that we'll see here is that the words we were using to describe the four values, those were working pretty well when we were describing essentially the student to teacher or directly related to learning, I guess, which is where we started. And and it is key to our discussion. But as we've started to look at the idea of health, we have retooled some of those words slightly so to bring them more in in, in alignment with a description of what the the value for the wider community might be. And just before we get into our first big idea about the difference between reinventing education and the idea of improving education, our structure today is going to take on a bit of a new form where rather than one big kind of like TED Talk blurb at the start and then us discussing it later, we're breaking our ideas into little pieces that we're also hoping to turn into little YouTube videos to share around on social media. Um, So in this episode today, you'll hear sort of one big idea spread over maybe two, three, four minutes, and then Brennan and I discussing that. So let's get into that now. So our goal has been to open up a dialogue about reinventing school. And we believe that something is missing from current discussions about education that's kind of leaving us getting stuck and spinning our wheels. And that's the idea of having a map. The ideas in reinventing education are similar to having like Google Maps on your phone. So quick analogy for you, you're wandering around in a new city. And while strolling about, you get lost and you lose your bearings. Now, You can keep walking and see the city, but you don't necessarily understand where you're going. Thanks to an app like Google Maps or any other GPS, you can find your current location on the map. You type in the location you want to go to, and your phone will suggest different routes to get there. The map helps you orient yourself through the actual territory of the city, and Google Maps can even include data about traffic or other current conditions that might make certain routes more or less desirable. So the map of education that we are presenting on reinventing education is similar in this way. First, it will help you understand where you are. It can help point out different ways of moving beyond where we are, and it can also help give data about the current conditions Conditions around us. So on reinventing education, we are mapping out the necessary transition towards a new form of education system suited to our global context. 
and we believe that students deserve an integrative education, which will help them best navigate the global context and a world full of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, or VUCA, as is kind of a common buzzword right now. So here's an important distinction. There's essentially two voices on educational change, and until you point out these two differences, uh, it's easy to get the two of them confused with each other. Essentially, there's the improve education tribe and the reinvent education tribe. So let's compare and contrast them a little bit because the differences are a really big deal to us. Improve, according to the dictionary, means to make or become better, and reinvent means to change something so much that it appears to be entirely new. Now, the improve group is about taking what already exists and tweaking it to make it better and improve it. The reinvention group or the reinventing group is about making something new that is a better match to our current context. So the improve education tribe is massive in size and in fact makes up essentially almost the entire voice on educational change. Most of what we see in the media or on our social media via podcasts, blogs, YouTube channels, they're all attempting to improve education. They're attempting to improve what is. And there's a very small group of us, which we identify with, who are talking about reinventing education. Now, the reinvent camp wishes to go to the roots of education and re-examine our assumptions and be willing to produce something entirely new. Now, to be clear, those of us in the reinvent education group also wish to improve it, but we're kind of of the belief that reinventing education will make education better in ways that simply trying to improve it cannot accomplish. And we believe that the well-intentioned tweaking and improvement does not give us the kind of education required for our youth and their ability to engage with a rapidly changing world. I'm going to use a slightly cheesy analogy here, but we'll go with this. Imagine a candle and an electric light next to each other. Now, what they have in common is that both are sources of light, and their purpose is to brighten the room or the space that they're in. Now, the ways that they generate light are very different, and historically, candles did come first. However, the electric light did not come from the continuous improvement of candles. The electric light came from reimagining what materials were considered necessary for the production of light. So to connect this over to school, there is one version of statewide mandatory education conceived of historically in Prussia in the late 1700s, and it's essentially just been tweaked over the decades and centuries since. However, much like the candle can be optimized to burn brighter and longer, an optimized wax candle will never become an electric light. The purpose of a source of light isn't to melt wax and burn wick, it's to illuminate a room. In education, we're kind of checking in with what unnecessary wax and wick we're holding allegiance to instead of just reinventing some new form of education not based on the limits of the first historically conceived version. So I fear we're passing on only a dim glow of what's possible to our kids. And here we're proposing to find the new materials that would help us reinvent education into something far more responsive to the world around us now. We know the purpose of a source of light. So our next inquiry is into what's the purpose of school. Thoughts, Brendan O'Leary? First, Rob, you, you've, you're definitely a good reader. <laughs> all, the, all the words in the right order. 
But I, I think this is something that we it is fundamental to what we tried to address right from the very start, that um, the, the values that are currently in school, they are somewhat removed from the wider society. And so maybe they function well inside a smaller community, but we're no longer really preparing students for a life in the small community that they live in, the town, the village, even the city. If we want our children to have skills that will allow them to do things that are really opening as many doors as possible for them in terms of opportunities of how to live in this world. We need to be engaging with, like you said, that volatile and uncertain kind of state. And the way that we are suggesting we do that is to be able to develop yourself, your skills, so that you are able to be responsive to your own needs, the needs of the community. And we also therefore want schools that are not only teaching students to become responsive to their own needs and those wider ones, but also the school itself as an institution needs to be working with the same kind of mission. Wait that you could visualize this is to think that as school first emerged in Prussia, it was at that point heavily responsive to an economy that was shifting out of feudalism and into capitalism. It was a society very different than ours nowadays. Like childhood was fundamentally different back then compared to what a six-year-old experiences in 2019. Like child labor was still totally fine. But you had a an education system that essentially was brought about nationwide in order to help the military in Prussia. And it did that extremely well. So well, in fact, that essentially every country on the face of the planet over the next century adopted the Prussian model and brought it to their own national context. Now, it's kind of like at first, school was very responsive to its societal contact. But over time, the two have kind of like veed off and diverged somewhat that school has become its own universe, its own kind of evolving organism. But some of school's evolution has been in response to school itself and not always responding to the changes of the larger society or culture around it. And that school in itself has kind of almost become this, at times, in some ways, isolated entity that's now feedbacking on itself rather than responding to the larger needs of the community around it. And that's where our distinction of improving versus reinventing is vital and is the important starting point. Because what we're not talking about is taking this and I know I need to be really careful with the language here, but this kind of like cancerous or like malignant growth within education um, that's responding to itself. We're not talking about taking that and tweaking and improving it. We're talking about going back to the roots and saying, okay, given our current context, if we look at the world around us right now, the culture around us, the demands of life this year, what can we reinvent? What can we create new that's a better response to this as opposed to constantly tweaking what already exists? And we're not talking about throwing the entire baby out with the bathwater, but we want to go back to some of these fundamental assumptions about what school is rather than just responding to the continuous narrative of what school has been. Yeah, and I think without going too deep into this at this point, I think what happened in 
uh, when you had something like the one room schoolhouse, on some level, those very small community based schools were responding to the needs of the local community. Those students were learning some of the skills, at least that maybe they would use in, in the jobs around them. But essentially, they would need to go off and learn trades and skills in guilds and, and so on. I think we got to a point now, and we're at this point where we have some national and even moving towards global curriculums that everything within the curriculum makes sense and is a worthwhile skill. But the very fact that they exist and they are implemented in really quite rigid uh, programs of learning make it very, very hard for us to respond to the individual needs of the students. And in 2019, we've trained ourselves to really look for data and measurement, but we all know that what we're measuring and the data we're getting isn't necessarily accurate and isn't necessarily measuring everything we need. So now we have a challenge to move ourselves forward. And as we're saying, we don't think tweaking that system of making a curriculum or a test system or whatever that's it's more uh, efficient is going to move us to that broader, more holistic kind of responsive uh, education system that we think is necessary for people going into the 21st century. And I think both of us, were already a little bit ahead of ourselves. Maybe you can get into this idea of what is the purpose of school? So when you kind of stop and think about it, it's somewhat strange that we kind of send our children off to spend many, many hours a week in the institution of school. We have a lot of faith in it. We trust that it is a good thing in and of itself, but it's not often that we question why we allow school to play such a large role in the raising of our children and, and ask ourselves, what is the purpose of school? So essentially, if you take a minute to think about what the purpose of school is, um, you're likely to come up with one of the three following categories. Either you believe that uh, school is for occupational preparation, it's getting you ready to participate in the next stage of school or in the job market. Um, you may alternatively think that the main role of school is the cultivation of citizenship. They are getting you ready to participate in the wider culture, the norms, the morals of the place you live. And there's a third element that historically hasn't been quite as important, but you might feel that uh, school's role is to get you ready for your own personal development, participate as an individual and to work on your own skills and talents so that you can take them into the society and culture that you will be entering. And in reality, you probably have some kind of combination of those three. Now, those three aims are entirely worthy within a society. Um, we have roles that... Um, that the youth must enter into and the culture we have is described by um, the writer Seth Godin who said, people like us do things like this. And so we want the individuals to actualize themselves in the areas of life, society, in the areas that we have deemed as important. Whether we have explicitly stated those or whether they are just implicit in our culture, whatever, that is what we value with inside, inside the school. So one way to think of school is that it's a social or cultural incubator and it's where we develop adults for our culture and our society. Now that sounds like a really practical kind of purpose of school. But another way to think of it is that it is the answer to that fundamental existential question of how should a human live their life? And you can look to school for some evidence of our cultural answer. Depending on where we are, the answer is slightly different. So too often, 
the former of that social cultural incubator is, is given privilege over the latter of this idea of how humans should live their life when we're attempting to change and improve schools. Now we, as members of society, in some way, we get to decide what we require students to do. And one of the current ways we do this is within the curriculum. And our curriculums are essentially a, a to-do list. They're the things that we say that the humans, as they're growing and passing through our system, need to come in contact with, maybe gain some skills and knowledge in this area before becoming an adult in our society. Now, when you look at it that way, you might think, really, this list of curriculum objectives, it's what we're centering around 10 to 15 years of our children's lives around. But when you look at that particular curriculum, whichever one, maybe it doesn't look like a recipe for a practical, meaningful, or even enjoyable life. So if you go to your government's website, whichever country you live in, whichever state, and you take a look at it, take a read of it and think, am I actually convinced that this is what my child should be spending most of their education doing? Now, it could be. You could think that everything on that list is in the right place and that's all that's required. And if so, great. Please stay in contact with your schools, play a really important part in your child's education. However, if like myself and Rob, as, as teachers and, and, as, and myself as a parent, have looked at any um, of the curriculums and thought, I'm not 100% convinced that this is exactly what my child or my student should really be learning and engaging with in their childhood. Well, then reinventing education is for you. Thoughts on that, Rob? For me, it's this like playing with the language that I think points to something different. Because when we talk about school, so often we're talking about it from this really practical standpoint of like, we need to make sure school is getting our kids ready for the job market and, you know, responsive to the changing world. But when you stop and like ask, you know, you start throwing those words like existential questions and the idea that school is like the embodied, lived answer to our question, what should a human be engaged with? It kind of like opens up a whole other discussion that's just never allowed to fester over because it's potentially a a volatile conversation for the status quo. And I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist or like some kind of like anti-modernist, anti-capitalist, whatever type of person. The word I like to insert here because it opens up a new way to talk about education is like what we're doing in our schools is this, is this how a child should be spending their childhood in our society? And when you start to ask that question, it like zooms out from the really like close up specific nature of how most of our conversations about education are like, how should we teach math? How should reading be taught? How should tests be done? When should report cards come out? What standardized tests should we do? Which one's not? And those are all important conversations. But every now and then I think you need to zoom out and go, okay, but on the macro level, is this how a great part of our childhood should be spent? And for me, when I zoom out to that level, there is just this reactive part of me that's like, no, this is bullshit. This is not, this could be so much better. This could be so different. Um, and it just seems uh, just like the really watered down elevator music version of like human development to me compared to like what could be possible and what you and I are starting to see happening in, in some really cool cutting edge schools that are maybe setting aside some of that old wax, some of those unnecessary elements of school that have maybe just been brought in due to tradition and looking at what 
reinvented systems, methods, all this sort of stuff of education could be? Yeah, I, I think the things that are easiest to measure are the things that then come front and center. So again, your multiplication and, and your spelling, your grammar, they're easy to measure. They're important. They're one element of maths, the one element of reading and writing. But um, because they're easy to measure, they've come front and center to a curriculum and then they're almost wagging the dog. They, they, so we, we spend more time on that than we do on, say, the composition of pieces or the ideas that un underpin pieces of writing. And so we're still trying to work out as a society and as communities of how do we broaden those horizons within school and not have everything that's not mechanical just as this kind of soft skills so there's the people talk about the soft curriculum or you know the hidden curriculum and this is essentially all the stuff that we're kind of talking about on on this podcast that it's like Yes, so you're you're talking about how you problem solve and your metacognition and you're talking about how you exist together and your social skills, your own personal path through and your own learning styles and these are all becoming part of the possibilities and now we're trying to dig into the practicalities of how to do that without losing those uh, kind of measured parts and it's super, super tricky. But yeah, I, you know, we have so much time with these kids and there's so much potential for what we can do. And then we will almost put ourselves in these kind of like systems that we've locked down all of our time and our energy and our resources to do things that we generally, when we sit down together as a group of adults or professionals, we're like, you know, I might give this 5% of the school's time, but we're actually spending 50% of time on it. The preceding values all, all favoured one of those three aims of school. What we are aiming to do is to say that they are all important, they're all valuable, and we need to make sure that we apply them to the student's life. It's using those three aims in a way that is best for the context of the individual student and the community as a whole. So looking at those three aims of occupational preparation, cultivation of citizenship and self-development and like pivoting from them, being able to like flexibly move between them in order to best serve a student given their context at a certain time could be either in the day, in the year, within a unit. I think that's what my personal understanding of where we're at with our, with our kind of aim is that these three are key. We don't want to lose them, but each of the three values so far has favored one of them. So pri privileging kind of occupational preparation or privileging the cultivation of citizenship, privileging self-development. Yeah, the, these three paradigms have favored one of those over the others. Mm -hmm. And our kind of thesis or idea is that they're all really important, but it's only when you understand the context of your student and your school that you can really work out how best to apply those three goals or to achieve the, those three aims. Got it. So we started this conversation by talking about the idea of like a map. And I think we could start now by making sure we point out the pieces of our map we've discussed so far. So the first thing that's important to have on your map, or if you were a pilot in a plane, not to switch analogies here, but one thing you'd need on your dashboard as you navigate through the skies of education would be this idea of these are the three aims. 
no matter what's going on in school, in some way we're trying to serve these three aims. So the three aims, occupational preparation, cultivation of citizenship, and self-development. In some way, that's got to be on our map of education to acknowledge that essentially when you follow all roads back, they get to the one of those three starting points, that we're doing something because it hits one of those three aims. Now, the idea of how we do that is where the next piece of our map comes in. And the next piece of the map is this idea of values. And I'd like to go into uh, an updated talk from us about the four values in education. So we've got the three aims and we have these four values of education. What to teach is fairly standardized around the world, but how to teach those fundamentals is where conversations on education are getting lost in the woods, essentially. And this is due to the different values that individuals and groups bring with them to education. Now, we say that there are four different values primarily influencing what education looks like today. But no one other than us essentially is really talking about these values. And without noticing the values and without noticing their influence that they have, um, we're unable to see how when we talk to someone with different values, we're actually talking about something fundamentally different. We're not seeing the same thing. And our inability to see this in our discussions about education is hugely limiting, I guess, the, the evolution of education. So these four values are one of the parts of our map for navigating the reinvention of education. One way to think of this, just imagine four different sports happening on the same field. So picture a football match going on, a baseball game, a tennis match, and a round of golf. Now, each of these four different sports are played very differently. And, you know, the difference between a football match, baseball game, tennis match, around a golf, they have very different ideas about how you score points. Each of them has very different strategies. And essentially, they all have a different goal of their game they're trying to accomplish and how a winner is decided. So because we haven't pointed out that there are four separate games on the field, someone might just like come along and see all this activity and try to give it a name. And they might just call it sports. They might just say sports are happening on that field. Well, in much the same way, we've lumped the four different values in education together and we're just calling this mess of activity education without seeing that there's fundamentally at least four different things happening on the field of education right now. And without teasing apart each of these four values, discussions on education get muddied quickly and we get lost arguing about the use of a golf club on third base or the use of a tennis racket for hitting a soccer ball. So we've discussed that school has three aims and they're often prioritized in the following order. Often, occupational preparation comes first, then the cultivation of citizenship and then personal development. However, it's clear that there are different ideas about how to approach occupational preparation, cultivation of citizenship, and personal development, the three aims of school. And these different ideas are due to these four different values, different beliefs about what is important in life, four different values that inform how we organize ourselves, 
how we organize communities, our activities, and our systems. Now, the four values that we'll address come from two similar developmental models. So maybe you're familiar with these, maybe you're not. The first model is spiral dynamics, which was researched by Claire Graves and popularized by Don Beck. And the second being integral theories, stages of development by Ken Wilber and uh, made popular recently by Frederick Leloux's wildly popular book, Reinventing Organizations. Now, if you don't know spiral dynamics or integral theory, don't worry. Um, but both of these models give a name for each stage of development, or we're using the word value in this case. Now, they describe each of these values using a color, but both systems use kind of different colors. So rather than summarize each value with a color, we're giving them four different names. And the four names we're using for these four values are security, achievement, inclusion, and integration. So security, achievement, inclusion, and integration. And we'll dive into what the four of those mean coming up. Now, if you're new to our podcast and you're familiar with spot dynamics or integral theory, here are how our terms of security, achievement, inclusion, and integration match up with integral theory or spiral dynamics. And if you don't know spiral dynamics or integral theory, no worries. I guess this is just sort of inside baseball for those who do. So the value of security aligns with the amber of integral and the blue of spiral dynamics. The value of achievement aligns with orange in both integral and spiral dynamics. The value of inclusion aligns with green in both integral and spiral dynamics. And integration, the value of integration, aligns with the teal value in integral or yellow in spiral dynamics. So each value is rooted as a response to a historical set of living conditions, different contexts. And each value is an adaptive organizing principle. It's kind of like the software. And we'll get into the nuts and bolts of each value in upcoming segments but we'll discuss the gifts and drawbacks of each and what they look like when they're healthy and unhealthy and how they arose historically and what they're trying to accomplish. You can basically sum these up by saying that group members in each value, they look around the world and they see problems and they perceive no problem that cannot be solved by a greater adherence to their core values. So essentially, whichever value we hold, we kind of double down on it as being the ultimate problem solver. It's the thing that helps us solve problems in the world around us. So for a quick appetizer, so that you can begin to see each of these four values and the influence they're exerting on our experience of education, on how we teach, how we organize our cultures and systems, here's a quick introduction to our four values. So first, security. The first national school system model emerged in Prussia in the late 1700s, and it was responding to the demands and the needs of the military at the time. The emergence of the Industrial Revolution as the economy shifted and transitioned out of feudalism towards capitalism. Some other words we might use for this are security, stability, and safety. And this value is best suited to a clear, relatively immovable pyramid of authority. Schools as a pyramid of hierarchy and roles. So you are getting ready for work in a society where there are clear roles to uphold. In a culture where clear sections and stratas are already well established. And you have a sense of duty and obedience. 
School is a place where you do what is asked of you by the people above you. And that goes for students doing what's being asked of them by the teachers above them, but that also goes to the teachers are doing what is being asked of them of whoever's above them in the pyramid hierarchy. So that's one of the values that's having an influence on school today. And so the next value was achievement. So by the late 1800s, we started to actually score students' work and mark their work to sort out who was doing better than others. And this was in response to the competitive and democratic capitalist need for ambition. So achievement, this is merit, reward-seeking, truth-seeking, self-determined, but within the given system, and seeking of success in general. School is a ladder which can be climbed due to your merit. It's a meritocracy. It helps you to gain advantages and it sets you up for where you are going to be filtered and end up in the next stage of your school life or in the workforce. Good grades in this system was a guarantee to open doors for you. You are getting ready for a workforce that rewards results and a culture where social mobility is possible. And you desire to achieve what you desire. The value still has the largest hole on informing education currently. Um, and this is what we're talking about with mainstream schooling currently. What we're also seeing right now is the emergence of the next value, which we're calling inclusion, as a response to some of the shortcomings of achievement. So after a while, it becomes obvious that the achievement game hasn't been fair for everyone involved. And we've actually started to take apart how we conducted this one-size-fits-all game of marking students and scoring their achievement against a curriculum, which is a central component of the achievement value we just discussed. What is the point of school if it isn't relevant or meaningful to the student who is within it? So within the inclusion value, we begin to see more of a negotiation between what the teacher or school is requiring of the student and what the student wishes to focus on. The inclusion value is in response to this socialist, postmodern, pluralist, deconstructivist, relativist paradigm which has also emerged within the culture at large. Some other words for inclusion could be a focus on well-being or equality-seeking. School, rather than being a pyramid or a ladder, becomes more of a circle where everyone has the right to be who they are and how they are. And you're getting ready for a workforce that values work that is meaningful and sustainable and with an emphasis on the idea of promoting sustainable economies. And it's also in response to a world where that guaranteed ladder, the guaranteed results of getting good marks and achievement, isn't quite so solid this is in a culture where the voicing of diverse perspectives and giving a seat to those who weren't at the table and consensus really matter. Within the inclusion value, you desire to keep an open mind, explore your inner self, and at times sacrifice your needs for the group's overall well-being. And in terms of education, this is more or less on the cutting edge of the improve school camp. Now... The final value we'll discuss is a value that is currently emerging, but is making up a very tiny percentage, probably less than 1% of what we're actually seeing in school. But it's 
a hint at this idea of the reinvention of education. And this is what we're fascinated by on this podcast. Yeah, and I think one term we've said is the babies in the bathwater. And each of the three values there sees itself as awesome and without problems. What we are seeing here in this new value, which we call integration, is that um, we're deconstructing school and differentiating for ability and encouraging students. It was valuable, but the development of a wider range of human capacities is far more useful in this rapidly changing VUCA world. And VUCA, again, is a term that means volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. So as this inclusion value before was starting to give students uh, more of their own say in their education, it's still not necessarily responding to the world. So this integration value is a response to what we might call a post-postmodern world, where we reintegrate what has been deconstructed. We put it back together and we aim to integrate the most appropriate elements of all the previous values in order to serve the development of the student as a human across multiple capacities, even those that traditionally were not given much attention in the security and achievement school systems. So we have, in those previous three systems of security, achievement and inclusion, brought online a huge range of human capacities, but not necessarily at the same time and not necessarily given priority in the right place or the best for the context. And so this value of integration is really where we are digging further into that concept to see those few institutions, teachers, parents, humans who are working to develop this paradigm, what does it look like? What's well, the coolest? It's the, it's the most interesting, most uh, fascinating one because it's uh, simultaneously rebellious and more professional than all the others put together, I guess. Um, what does it look like? Well, essentially, that's what our larger conversation is going to be about. It's also been the conversation we've been having on this podcast. So if you're new to us, um, go back, check out some of our previous episodes. We've spoken to institutions, some different schools and educators that we feel are representing this integration value. Um, we'll put those in the show notes. And what, I don't know, what should we say here, Brennan? Let's have fun with this. Here's what, We're getting too here's what I would say before we settle down with a nice glass of pineapple juice. It's We've given names to these values, to these paradigms of school. I'm somewhat skeptical about any um, anything that aims to describe all of humanity, but uh, this seems to be a, a rule of thumb that at least works for this context. So once you've named it, you make it explicit. And then we're talking about these three paradigms, and I don't think that's generally how school is thought of and so I think this idea is something that's worth exploring. And it also makes sense that the best school going forward is the one that takes the things from all of those paradigms that are really best for students in 
each of them, maybe we've thrown away some stuff from the other paradigms that was really good, but because it didn't really fit our agenda or it didn't seem to solve any problems for us, we kind of pushed it to one side. Those first terms we tried to use probably describe that thing that was thrown away to some extent, the self-discipline or the ambition or the or sensitivity. I think that's key making this idea explicit so we can have a conversation about it. Yeah, and this is where I'm willing to say that our podcast is bringing an important piece to the discussion. We talked about the three aims of education, occupational preparation, cultivation of citizenship, self-development. This is incredibly vital because until you point out these four values, you don't see how they're kind of pulling the strings of everything that's going on. You can... And the reason this is important is you can have a school that as a whole is attempting to embody or live out one of these values. And this is important to know. To go back to our map analogy from the start of this episode, if you don't know where you are, that's disorienting. You don't know necessarily which way to go. You maybe don't see the larger context of the layout of a city, let's say, for the sake of the analogy it's really helpful to know which of these four values your school is trying to carry out because what you do within those schools is probably either helping to meet that value's needs or not. It's also helpful when you sit around a table at a staff meeting and you realize that, hey, our school has one of these core values, but we can have people across all four of these values that are either in alignment or not in alignment with the school's overall value. And you can see this in conflicts in staff rooms where, you know, in 2019, we still have teachers and educators who are really upholding that security value. But we also have teachers who are upholding the achievement value. We also have teachers upholding the inclusion value. And you're seeing more and more teachers beginning to have elements of this integration value. And you need to see these values in a staff room to name them, like you said, so that we can begin to talk about them and that it's not happening unconsciously, but rather we can begin to move some of the conversations on education forward because we can actually talk about these things consciously and see where we are and where each of these values will get us or won't get us. So in terms of what this podcast is trying to do, We're trying to present a map, and here in this episode, we've presented the first two pieces of the map, highlighting the three aims of school and highlighting the four values that are influencing school. And in our next episode, we'll get into another piece of our map, another thing that's worthy of having on our dashboards, and that's the quadrants from Integral Theory. Thank you very much, Rob. All right, Brendan, appreciate this chat, and enjoy your PJ juice. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. If this was useful or insightful, feel free to connect with us. We have a private Facebook group. Request to join and we'll let you in. We tweet reasonably interesting stuff on Twitter, and we animate portions of our podcast on YouTube. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by searching Reinventing Education Podcast. We appreciate you liking, reviewing, or sharing our stuff online, but we're just as happy if you talk about the ideas you've heard here with friends or colleagues in person. From Brennan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. 
thanks for having some of your attention on what we're saying. 